Welcome to the Native Advertising Powerhouse, a podcast dedicated to help publishers and native ad studio professionals build a solid framework for their native advertising efforts. The host of the show is Jesper Lawson, founder of the Native Advertising Institute. My name is Jesper Lawson, and you're listening to the 10th episode of the Native Advertising Powerhouse. Today, I have Joanna Carrigan, head of branded content at News UK, joining me on the show. She was named one of 100 significant women in native advertising by the Native Advertising Institute. And today, we're going to talk about how to build native advertising revenue, a very hot topic in the industry. So welcome on the show, Joanna. Thank you. I would like if you could start by sharing uh, with us a little background on News UK. What is the organization? What kind of media brands do you have? Yeah, sure. So for those who don't know, um, who aren't from the UK, um, we're a British publisher. So we're based in London. Uh, we're owned globally by News Corp. Um, we own two of the UK's flagship titles. So that's The Times and The Sun. Um, and that's where our business began. Our, our titles are very different. Um, probably worth saying, I think if you're from the UK, you will definitely know that. Mm-hmm. Different in demographic um, and audience. Um, but in many other ways as well. Um, so in the last sort of few years, um, we've built out the digital side of the business beyond just the printed newspaper. Um, we also own um, several other brands. We own, as a group, Storyful, who are a UGC licensing platform, and they also provide a really in-depth level of social intelligence. Um, we own Unruly, who I'm sure many people are aware of. Um, and in the last year, we have acquired Wireless Group, who are obviously um, a radio network. So we are pretty diverse now and um, pushing out beyond our traditional boundaries. Mm-hmm. And, and what is your own role in the organization? So I'm head of branded content for digital. So that essentially means that I work across all of our publishing brands and I am in charge of digital strategy for the business. I was previously a commercial editor at the Huffington Post. Prior to that, I was at Mediacom. Um, I actually started my career as a print journalist when I was quite young, when I was 19, 20, so a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, moved quite quickly into commercial, just kind of actually out of necessity um, initially, and then found a real love for it. At News, my role was involved, as I said, in driving revenue, driving the strategy behind that revenue. So how do we build product that helps us to deliver brand and content campaigns, um, concerned with distribution, with diversifying revenue streams. So building new environments and um, off-platform environments mm. to monetize. So quite diverse. Okay. And so now one of your main responsibilities, if I understand it correctly, is building the, the native advertising revenue for, for your company. Yes. And we are going to talk about your six key principles when um, building uh, branded content or native advertising revenues. And we're going to go through each of these uh, key principles in a minute. Uh, before we dive into that, could you share with us a little bit on when did, did News, uh, News UK start offering native advertising? So we've been doing branded content um, and native for quite a while actually, but um, it all sort of got reimagined um, about two years ago. So there was some, it was everything was kind of restructured and 
I was brought in to look specifically at the digital offering. And I think kind of what became clear to everybody who joined the business at that time that it was a little bit overcomplicated. Um, we were trying to do a lot of different things at once. Um, and that actually there were there were ways and means that we could simplify things and, and make it clearer for uh, internal teams to sell and also clearer for the market because that was that was a big issue and I think for us trying to kind of really hone our sales message um, and definitely not at the expense of, of creativity because that's obviously what we hang our hat on. We are first and foremost journalists and we, we, we stick to that but for us it's, it's definitely about, about building really clear concise uh, sales strategy and product which has, has worked quite well. Could, could you give us a specific example of, of something that you simplified? Yeah, absolutely. So for us, it was like actually more about even the very simple take to market product. So we simplified our um, article structure um, when it came to how much, what our guarantees were, what that actually involved, and then also pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were trying to be incredibly clear about our pricing to the market. And in bringing that back to single article packages, very clear um, video uh, distribution where we were and weren't um, distributing. We brought a real focus back to on platform at first, which was kind of just to clean up what our offering was and um, you know to really hammer home that we are a premium publisher and we offer a premium environment and that's what we that's what we stick to. So we do obviously work with off platform and work in social, but us that really worked well because I think it's really if you've got a large sales team you know you want to be able to equip them with the the tools to be able to sell things easily especially if people you know we're a cross-platform business and not everybody is a digital native so if you give people things to sell that they don't have to go into too much detail about but actually are able to to take those take those products and those tools um, out with the business and make them easy to sell and then also crucially easy to buy. Mm-hmm. And and why has it been important to to simplify things for the sales force? I know that's one of the things that a lot of publishers are struggling with. You know, they have their existing sales force, and now all of a sudden there's a new, fairly complicated product that they need to sell. So simplifying was a means to make that run more smoothly, or. Yeah, it was. And I think like probably what we're now entering is like phase two of that. So we are recognizing to your point, absolutely, that like there can't be it can't just um, live forever as very simple product. Um, you need to do you need to um, evolve, which is what the phase that we're in at the moment. So we're learning a lot. But for us, it was it worked just to give people the tools to go out and sell branded content, because I think it was a lot easier just to because display traditional display is very you know formulaic and it mm. can just go into a plan and it's um it's a lot easier to to get out the door whereas content is sometimes a little bit more a little, a little bit harder to sell in to some brands and some agencies and we just needed to needed to bring that back down to basics which we did and it worked but we are now in phase looking to phase two um, and what will phase two be <laughs> um, I can't say too much about it at the moment, but we're mm. just evolving our measurement and evolving our packages so that they become um, a little bit more complex. We also are, you know, our response to brief process, working with the cross-platform teams and just to kind of, um, we've had a very successful phase one of that and just working out what's the, what's the next step. 
um, for response to be so bespoke responses rather than um, take to market product. Mm. So we'll be uh, we'll be hearing more about phase two later on. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 going back to phase one, when you try to simplify things. It, it had it had an internal purpose, but did you also get pushback from the clients, from the advertisers, um, looking for for a more simple solution or a clear offering, or or was it only internally? Um, I think not pushback, but we we saw quite a positive response to it. To be honest, um, I think it was because we actually are a brand, and I'm sure if there are other publishers, then listening to this that they might you know be able to identify with the fact that um if you're a publisher or a brand that has a lot of different um elements to it Mm -hmm. that your message and market can sometimes become muddled so i think if you are trying to represent a, a few different brands if you have clear products that can be applied across all of those mm-hmm. it makes it a lot easier for um clients and agencies to to take it in because what you've you know what we always try and bear in mind and i've been at an agency i've never worked at a client but the amount of media that they are digesting on a day-to-day basis in terms of responses and the uh, variety on offer um is vast so to have to get their head around something complex it's not in any way saying that it's beyond them. It's just that actually they can't physically get around everything if it's going to be thirty slide deck. Mm. So we are trying to be like, right, this, this, this. You can buy this here, and this is what we stand for. Okay, building revenue for branded content is probably one of the hottest topics for publishers today or agencies working with this. Uh, also, could you share with us the the journey that that you've been on at News UK? I'm I'm assuming you started out with offering one thing and so how how is it building uh, the different streams of revenue yeah so I think that for us it was uh, you know as, as I've already touched on coming in there was a few of us joined at the same time um, and looking at where the market was, was responding well to us and we were making some some really nice um, brand-led campaigns. So, with the KPI being to increase, you know, brand perception. Um, but we realised that we had to diversify, um, and that actually going down the more performance-led led route was going to be key. Um, and that we actually had to speak to a number of different client KPIs, which obviously speaks to different platforms. So for us, um, after we'd kind of looked at, and I've, I've already you know, been touched on simplifying the product, mm-hmm. we looked um, at our pricing for what we were already doing, um, which actually was probably in a strange, this is probably a strange bit of advice because normally if you're going to try and make more money, you would cut your prices, but we actually put our prices up because we realized that we'd been underselling ourselves in market a little bit to try and kind of get around that, that revenue barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it's a difficult thing to do because we've a lot of our competitors in the UK are um, are still going down that route of, of slashing their prices, mm-hmm. um, but we are we're, we're sticking to our guns and we've lost campaigns because of that. But actually, it's paid off over an extended period of time, and you've got to look at that as a long term strategy. And I think stacking it high and selling it cheap that's that's short term. Um, so we bumped the pricing up and I know that's um, that's a strange thing to say and there's definitely room for negotiation mm-hmm. depending on the deal value. How did you find out that you underpriced yourself? I mean, what were the, what was the signs that told you? Yeah, we, 
we just did it. We did some market analysis based on essentially just speaking to people. I've worked in the brand content space in the UK for quite a long time now, so I've had various various dealings with it. And when I came in um, and spoke to some other people and we looked at how we're pricing, we realised that actually we needed to, to bump it. And because we are, you know, we place real value on our own platform inventory. We've got some really premium environments. Mm-hmm. So spending engaged minutes with that content, it should be charged accordingly and also the production side of things. So for us, we um, that's a, a key area for any branded content studio to generate profit, right? It's, it's where you where you can make a, a nice margin, um, but you, you have to charge for it accordingly, um, especially because some of the, the content that we produce is very high quality. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are definitely other bits of brand content that can be filmed on a phone and run through social formats or 140 character tweets but there are certain elements that you know are created in a very bespoke high-end way and that should be charged accordingly so mm-hmm. we are trying to be um, trying to put a price on that um, so to try and uh, build our environments and charge accordingly and actually for the building materials, so the production. And that's worked well with the sort of the first point that I was discussing around making things simple. Mm. We've put the price in um, in a way that's premium, but it's very clear to understand. Yeah, so we, we kind of brought those two things in hand in hand. Um, and then we just kind of had to, to work on, there was a few, um, just ensuring essentially that you are uh, always delivering um, campaigns in full because that's the holy grail isn't it it's closing the sales loop and then rebooking the campaigns which for us I've always I'm always kind of banging on about it but the the content delivery team are absolutely vital and they they need to sit as a separate entity mm. um, not as as they, they work very closely with adults and with ourselves but they are specialists in what they do and for us we hang our hat in that as well mm. We're already starting to touch a little on the uh, the key principles, so I think we should jump into those. Uh, yep. So you sent me the headlines uh, prior to this uh, this interview. Uh, the first principle was do the simple things brilliantly. Could you elaborate on that, please? I mean, I think I think I probably already covered most of it. It's it's just, but actually, it's again about well, sorry most of that point about covering closing the sales loop. So essentially, pick things that you are, don't try and be all things to all men. Mm-hmm. Pick things that you're good at and do them very well. Deliver in full every time. Close the sales loop, rebook, and then look to build out into phase two because I think if you try and go hell for leather and do everything all at once, you want to be known for being brilliant at specific things rather than sort of good at everything. Mm. So for us, that was that was key, um, and that has that's worked for us really well. So now we're entering, as I said, that that second phase of of um, evolution. Mm. I think you. That's probably contrary to what a lot of other studios are doing. There seems to be this this idea that that chasing revenue uh, to many studios is adding new stuff to it. So they yeah. might have started out with you know back in the days just doing a let's call it a, a full paid uh, avatarial or something and it developed into of course the digital offerings but there seems to be now sort of a development towards you know adding influencer campaigns and adding physical events and adding all different kinds of things but you you've done then gone about it a little differently 
No, we we do we do those things. Okay. Not every time. That's probably what I'm what I'm getting at is that actually there's yeah for us um, it was about actually bringing it back to the simple um, campaign elements and then if you're doing those well layer on top and we have been building out you know our RFP so if there are um, events that can be brought in and we have the, the expertise to do that absolutely also building out um, which was another one of the, the key principles you know useful environments for delivering that so we do have our social channels we do have a really engaged snapchat audience and we say we work with that um, audience for campaigns we are building environments off platform that we can host branded content I think something that I probably should have mentioned at the start but didn't is that one of our products is behind the paywall mm-hmm. so that's the times and that's a really good thing because obviously we are people are paying for journalism and subscriptions are on the rise and we know a lot about that audience we've got a lot of first party data however on the flip side it is a much smaller audience so we have been building environments that we can host um video out with the paywall um but still sticks to the key principles of uh, our editorial but actually allows us to deliver campaigns that are, have a little bit more scale to them so we've been focusing on key verticals such as the Sunday Times style and we've built a video proposition with the paywall. Yes so that's that's another one of your key principles so you know building really useful environments for campaigns. Yes. Could you could you give a, an example of, of an environment and a campaign that, that went with that environment? Sure so we have been building out a product actually over the last year uh, called Social Amp that is designed essentially to um, obviously there'll be a lot of people listening who will recognise that there is an issue with off-platform delivery mm-hmm. so Facebook in particular there has been especially for publishers a real um, pressure from Facebook algorithm changes Obviously, that first affected brands. I think that was about two years ago now, where the algorithm favours uh, peer-to-peer sharing and um, engagement, meaningful engagement as they define it. So that negatively affected organic reach for brands. Publishers have also felt that now with the algorithm changes around March and April, and although the algorithm is constantly being tweaked, that one was quite significant. We were actually fairly lucky because our peer-to-peer engagement on all of our handles is quite strong. We didn't feel too much of a pressure from the referrals. However, we recognised that our brands that we worked with were um, increasingly having to pay quite a substantial amount of money for their posts to reach their audience, even mm. though they would have had a million followers, they were having to pay to reach them on Facebook, essentially. Mm. So we built out an environment called Social Amp, um, a product, sorry, called Social Amp, uh, with a company called Polar. And they, we essentially run brand social posts within our own premium environments, so within predefined ad slots. Um, and that's worked really well as part of our campaign extensions. So um, obviously we have the creative concept at the heart of it. Um, we work out how we distribute those assets um, and offering brands that alternative environment on our own platforms rather than paid social through their own handles has been has been really key as one of our one of our products that we've developed to help drive revenue over the last year. And there's been various others that have all been designed to answer a specific problem. So So let, let me see if I get this right. So 
you have a situation where brands are having to pay more and more to Facebook to reach an audience on Facebook. Yes. So your social amp uh, product is that that you distribute it on Facebook for on their behalf? No, we distribute it on our platforms. Okay. So we distribute it within the Sun and the Times, mm-hmm. um, within predefined ad slots, but it is a social post. So all you need is a URL, it pulls in the card, it pulls in the likes, the comment box, everything, and that runs within our own environments. So it essentially um, answers a few problems. So as I said, our product development for branded content is all in response to answering um, key real-time uh, concerns for brands and agencies. So it answers the issue of um, increased cost for brands, on social platforms, um, it increase it answers the problem of brand safety. Mm-hmm. So they are guaranteed that their social posts will appear in a premium brand safe environment. And obviously, we we work with Facebook. It's not trying to, you know, we are we're not trying to uh, in any way say bad things about them. Essentially, it's just that we are playing to our strengths and offering the brands that we work with an environment for them to deliver their. Uh, social content that they can be rest assured is safe and premium. I love that. That's actually one example where Facebook's success or ability to make money delivers some kind of value to you, or at least an opportunity. Yeah. That that you have then you know taken advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, look, Facebook's uh, is what it is, and we work with them, and it definitely there's there's a real purpose for it within campaigns, and we absolutely we distribute our content on Facebook both paid and editorial Mm -hmm. but for us it's just looking at what the key concerns are around social environments for brands and offering them something that answers that so we've seen some that's been a really nice um, a nice offering for us we've hired a specific um, role to actually develop and um, and sell these kind of products and market Um, Mm -hmm. it's doing really well do you also do, I know that's not part of this product that you're talking about, but do you also include social amplification in, in the other campaigns, not, you know, amplification on Facebook as part of your campaigns? Yeah, so it does get confusing because the product is called Social Amp. Yeah, paid social, yeah. Um, we do. Um, we do. It depends what the campaign is. We tend to deliver most of our branded content views on platform if we need to use paid social to drive back to those articles Mm -hmm. to drive views then and if that's something the brand wants to achieve then yes absolutely okay we're not afraid of of those environments i think that you were all open enough to admit that there is a value to be gained from it for sure Mm -hmm. um but we do try and our our, you know our key messaging is, is on platform delivery yeah but I guess, you know, as long as you're delivering the results that the brands are looking for, then, you know, they probably don't care which platform you're doing it on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, sometimes there is, I think, you, as long as you're transparent, as long as a brand isn't expecting that you're delivering all this, uh, you know, 100% on platform mm-hmm. uh, and that you are buying cheap views elsewhere, content recircle, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But for us, actually, we're seeing some, we are working very closely with them. Um, Apple News, okay, and it's very interesting um, platform for us now, um, both editorially and for branded content. It's still early days, but it's 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 just it's just another another string to our bow, essentially. Okay, so one key principle is do the simple things brilliantly. Another one is 
build really useful environments. And then you briefly touched on the third one, price yourself accordingly. But I yeah. think we need to elaborate a little on that. Yeah, for me, it becomes about placing your value on the things that you have worked very hard to build. So we are, as I've already touched on, um, a premium publisher and we're journalists and we create a lot of really excellent content and our articles and videos and um, all of our branding content campaigns have a lot of very experienced people behind them, making them, building them, ideating them. So. As I said, we had sort of priced ourselves a little bit um, low. Mm-hmm. So we bumped our, bumped our prices up to reflect the value, put a real emphasis on our production and um, our own platform inventory. And as, as I've already touched on, we have lost campaigns because we are we won't drop our prices lower than some as low as some of our competitors. But actually what it has brought us is ultimately is driven revenue up and it's worked very well so it works very well in line with you know bringing things um very simple making things easy to buy easy to sell Mm. um and charging a premium entry point for them Mm. i think you could drop it if you stack things high and sell them cheap as i already discussed i just don't think it's um it's a long-term strategy Mm. and that's kind of hammer home i guess that's one of the you know sometimes you call it value-based pricing so putting a value on the fact that you're a premium brand and there's a value to being in that environment and it's not something you know you can't scientifically you know you can't go scientifically to that pricing so it's it's more of of course how much you can get for it but it's also about deciding on uh, how much you want to charge for this this being a premium brand i'm guessing that's one of the one of the points where publishers have something unique, right? I mean, they have their audience. Nobody else has their audience. Obviously, you can find everybody on Facebook, I agree. But you mm-hmm. can't find your specific audience when they're in the mindset that they're on, when they're on your media platform anywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we we talk quite a lot about loyalty mm-hmm. to our brands. Um, and obviously, as, as I've touched on, they're very different, the two brands. But they incite loyalty and our readers in different ways and actually what we are kind of what we're doing is bringing brands into that journey we chat a lot about um, the different kinds of loyalty which you know you've got your behavioral loyalty your rational loyalty then emotional loyalty and if uh, a customer is emotionally loyal to a brand then they are something like 45 percent more valuable to them and it's that's what we are uh, we play off and we have people who revisit and come back and they have been consuming our brands and our titles for some their entire lives um i think it's very very prevalent on the times because people are you know they pay more four times more for a time subscription than they pay for their netflix <laughs> so that is huge and they are consuming content in a very long form way so three times a day it's an addition based publishing strategy they are given their their full rundown of content digitally and they are consuming a lot of it and it's about being informed and they feel very loyal to the brands and they might not necessarily always agree with it but that's not what loyalty is about so for us we are talking we're offering that environment to our advertisers and showing that actually coming alongside us um, whether that is display or whether it's content mm. that it's incredibly valuable um, so yeah we're 
as you say, playing off of that and um, bringing brands into the journey. And while we do have separate commercial content team from our journalists, we're very intertwined. So we will work closely with the Sun editorial team mm. and there's an editor in the building for every, or a journalist in the building for every niche imaginable for the time. So if you want to, you know, draw on that expertise, it's absolutely there. So that's kind of, for us, you know, I'm very passionate about journalism and um, about the value that we can offer and the value that brings to our offering. Um, so does that mean that a, an editor from The Sun, from the editorial team, will actually work on branded content campaigns? No, they won't um, create it. Um, but what we can do is work closely with them at mm. the ideation phase. Um, we have commercial editors. Um, I think that role is quite important. Mm. They sit as a, a conduit between the sales floor and the news team, um, and it's they will bring in areas of expertise. For example, if we have a a, a campaign that's very tech-led, we are for tech brands. We you know can draw on the tech editor's expertise to work mm. out what's working well on platform, what we've run in the past, what they know about potentially you know a very niche issue that you know our commercial editor can't can't possibly know everything about everything but there's someone that they can draw on so for us that's that's really important that the relationship between editorial and commercial is strong mm. um, but we don't know the commercial uh, the, the editorial team don't create branded content and we're quite specific about that church and state right that makes good sense uh, I'm curious in terms of the pricing how you've been dealing with media agencies. I mean, a lot of most of the times, media agencies are trying to fit you into an Excel sheet, right? Yeah. And uh, one of the the biggest pain points that I see publishers having in terms of media agencies is that you know it it kind of comes down to a, either a CPM or a CPC or something, and it and an Excel sheet sometimes don't have doesn't have room for you know that premium price for a premium brand how, how have you have you had that pushback from them and how have you dealt with it we have yeah but i think that for us it's just come at at first there was that we and we still actually get it to be honest like pushback we're not hugely priced above our competitors we're still fairly competitive <laughs> but for us it's actually about educating the role of content but it, that can be quite difficult with brands and with agencies um and actually, what role does that content play in the marketing mix? And it comes at the briefing point when you're defining what your objective is for the content. Because if you are looking for um, more performance-led, and as I said, um, and I probably should have pointed out up front, I run the um, e-commerce and affiliates team here as well. So okay. we, which sits separately, it's a two-team scenario. But we are very aware that performance is becoming more and more um, important. And for us, we, we recognize that. But it's actually about if the client is looking for a performance, a more performance-led content campaign, it's actually advising in the formats that will deliver that rather than, you know, if there is a big, beautiful branding piece being put forward but the client is wanting to sell a lot of product, it's about being truthful in that situation and saying, well, actually, this is probably isn't going to do, deliver your objectives, but this form of content might. Or well, sorry. So we are for us, it's about justifying our place on the plan and justifying our portion of that market and spend is just about being transparent and about trying to bring brands and agencies into that with us and and, and talk to them in quite an open way about the role of content. Mm -hmm. 
Let's talk about principle number four. It's empower your team. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's um, it's not really uh, it's not really a big secret to this. I think it's just work. I work very closely with with the team and try and just essentially um, not in part, but like working on them with the day to day on the day to day briefs. I've taken a little bit of a step back from that at the moment, but the my first year at news was just very much like responding, creating the product. Um, and actually empowering them, giving them the tools and the knowledge to take that out and then to pass that on to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that also, for me, a massive part of that, that is that empowering people to be creative um, and to trust their instincts. It's a huge thing for me that, you know, you can't keep creativity in the ivory tower. It just has to be people, anybody is capable of having a good idea. And yes, absolutely, there is a need for journalists and writers and video editors and to and script writers to create the executional elements of that absolutely but when it comes to campaigns there is definitely there should be a balance and you should offer your team that opportunity to come to the table with something mm-hmm. um, and that for us is, is really key we we bring all sorts of people into brainstorms and it's just about listening listening to people and and really um, letting trust in their instincts and trust in yours but at the same time as empowering them to be creative i know you feel strongly about not doing that while in jeopardizing the kpis of the client right oh absolutely yes um there has to be a recognition that not all campaigns are big beautiful ideas sometimes that they are very very functional and they're still branded content campaigns and but if the brand objective is to tell the story and sell the product then that's what you do so we yeah absolutely you have to creativity is part of everything that we do but we underpin it all with with insight and data Mm. and um, we're campaign driven sorry outcome driven and kpi driven so we are lucky in that we've built out enough product and enough and some really useful environments that allow us to speak to every part of the market and mix and in fact actually push people down the funnel um so we do the big beautiful award-winning campaigns we do the middle bit of trying to you know tell the brand story and tell a message and actually get something really tangible out of it and then we can also speak to performance-led campaigns and performance outcomes which i think is, is equally as important and as long as that you are recognizing that someone is paying for this content um, and it does have a job to do but you still maintain your maintain your creative mm. uh, creative mind then yeah i think you can't go wrong i think that's actually something that increasingly applies to editorial teams as well i'm i'm originally a journalist and i remember way back you know a gazillion years ago when i started out in journalism it was almost exclusively print and um, and it was much more about you know how you know the good stories that we felt the the readers needed to read, uh, but I see nowadays it's much more about how to create the content that could actually maybe drive subscriptions or that that actually has not not for a brand or an advertiser but for the media brand itself you know that that you create content that you know is both good for the readers but is also good for um, the business of your media company. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, journalism in the last 10 years is, as you know, it's completely changed. Mm. And I'm still, you know, there is, some of it is, is sad. I think that, that it has changed in, in such a way. Mm. Also, uh, there is, as you see, a real need for, for useful content that does a job for 
the reader but also for the for the commercial purpose and I think actually like editorial teams um while our brand content um teams are separate the commercial pressures on journalism teams mm. are, are ever growing but there is it just it just you need to work out what your mix is because for us some of the content that we create my e-commerce team so they sit within the editorial floor but as a little separate function um, and the content that they create it doesn't have any input from a client and it's completely unbiased but it's about product and it's very commercially led if you were to read it mm. it's about product and it's about sales but the audience absolutely love it because it's really useful and really functional and it's about things that they actually do on the day-to-day you know where how can it this is specifically for the sun how can i save money where's the best sale you know this has been we're, we're having this chat on black friday week and that for us is is massive um, in terms of giving our audience really useful advice around things that they're actually going out and, and buying. So they're in the market for Black Friday tech, they're in the market for toys for Christmas, um, and it's just pulling together that that content that helps them make that purchase decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and now if you're writing branded content in a really sort of lovely top line brand led way, that's what you steer away from. Um, because you're not trying to do that job, you're trying to do the brand perception job. Whereas there's a role for both, and I think, um, as you said, more and more traditional journalism is is turning towards towards that because there is a recognition that now we have a lot of data about what people are actually reading and what they're consuming and what they're enjoying. That it's changing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess that's one of the, the conversations that a lot of agencies and studios and and advertisers are having is that many seem to have this idea that branded content can only be used for, for top funnel purposes. But, but if you look at journalism, like you say, like reviews or product, you know, that's been part of journalism forever, right? I mean, even even both on, on newspapers, but also on, you know, magazines. You know, if you look at our, you know, interior uh, magazine, for example, there's tons of product reviews and, and just plain descriptions. I'm assuming you could, you know, transfer some of that to branded content as well. I mean, you'd still have like the big, beautiful uh, branding campaigns for top of the funnel, but you could also use other types of content for for further down the funnel mm-hmm. for for conversion, couldn't you? Absolutely, yeah. I think it all comes back down to that value exchange that branded content and e-commerce content and performance content should all offer something of value and it's just actually what is that value so mm. the big branding pieces it's that someone feels that they've taken something really nice from that content they've had a nice experience they've learned something they've looked at you know a beautiful a beautifully short piece of video and they feel inspired or emotional about that content when it's further down absolutely that if it's that they take something from it that is like a really useful tangible piece of advice mm such as Black Friday, like, you know, don't shop this time, do this, and then you'll find the best bargains, that kind of thing. So, yeah, absolutely. And the different formats, yeah, for us, obviously, long-form video is telling probably more the brand-led story, um, but then you have the the much more performance-led formats that are still content but are pushing people directly towards purchase or even actually shorter-form articles. Mm-hmm. that um, allow readers to, to click through directly to purchase 
which is a pretty good user experience for anybody trying to um, trying to follow that journey. So, yeah, we're um, I'm an advocate of content being able to be used for pretty much any purpose. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> there is just you just need to recognise that that's what it's and it's about what's right for the client um, and what's right for your platforms as well. This, you you do have to stick to your guns to a certain level. There are some some pieces that are you need to push back on if it's going to be detrimental your editorial voice but as you say that then comes down to the format so yeah i mean I, i'm assuming it's hard for you know samsung can't be you know involved in the review of their new flat screen tv that kind of thing yeah we'd never do never do paid reviews right right let's uh, let's go to number five so data is king what do you mean by that well for us it's basically some of the points I've already touched on around the fact that we have a huge amount of first party data about our audience, which obviously in a post GDPR world is um, very lucrative. Um, we are able to use that in a number of ways um, to inform our content and then also how we distribute it. So for us as well, it's looking at um, performance when it comes to editorial content um, and not just the people who are reading it so it's actually the performance of certain topics and certain themes and then the environments and where that's performed we're actually in the process of building out um, pretty much there actually a product called News IQ which is not my area of expertise I will admit however um, it is a product which will provide a single user ID um, across all of our platforms and will allow us to track user behavior in a very compliant way mm -hmm. across um, all of our platforms and based on a number of different behaviors so preference opinion and emotion um, and we will be able to use that to to work out how our users are interacting with our content, how they feel about it, and how that content speaks to them, and then use that to inform brand and content strategy. So for us, it's again, it's pretty similar to our, our premium environment piece. It's about knowing our audience, where they are, to an extent who they are, um, and how they consume content. And to what extent would you share those data? Like you say, it's first party data and it's very valuable to you and there's GDPR and everything to take into account. But I'm assuming that every now and then you run into collaborations with other types of, of you know, maybe advertising agencies or media agencies mm -hmm. that, that would love to get a hold of some of your data. How do you handle that? We don't share our data. There are opportunities for data matching with clients which is handled um, in a way that is very compliant, but we don't share our first party data with, with media agencies. Um, I think for us, it's something that we um, would be, um, number one, get us in some big trouble. <laughs> number two, would not, not uh, it's not something that we'd want to do to our readers, that they are imparting that, that information with us we would never share it in terms of the behaviors which is obviously slightly different because it doesn't have any personal information attached to it we still hold that close and i think that it's something that for us is is a key usp and for other publishers right so we're definitely we're definitely keeping that close to our chest yeah it seems like a, a good idea and for many reasons yes let's go to number six the last one admit when you failed rip it up and start again yeah, I think that for, you know, that you have to do a lot. So if you build building revenue, so we have, we had a very good year and 
the year two now we're now in year two and it we're still growing but it's it's a harder slog i think it's actually quite representative of the industry at the moment i hope but we have had a few we've had a few moments where we just look at something and you go well actually that's not and you need to be introspective you need to say we didn't do that very well um and i try and do that on a day-to-day basis if we're not winning campaigns or if something isn't really working then you have to be able to admit to yourself when you've not done something right and then actually work out how do you do it right and then take it from there and, and work out and bring in good people as well like you have to have a good team around you and you can't know absolutely everything I certainly don't um and I've you try and build up good teams around you who can help help build that revenue and, and ultimately deliver your strategy. Um, and it's for us like we've had a few, we've had some really good ones over the last two years, and we've had some moments where we've just went, actually, that's not that's not great. And I think it's it can happen as well on a campaign to campaign basis when you've probably when you've maybe not stuck to your guns as much as you should have and pushed mm. back on tone or style and. You read something and you're like, oh, that could be better. Or um, I'm not saying that specifically has happened um, at news, but I think that there's definitely, I think if we're all honest with ourselves, at points in our career we've looked at something and going, actually, that could have been better. So Yeah, hope hopefully. Yeah, just work out what, why it's bad, not bad, but why it's not as good as it could be and then create a, a plan and how to make it not how to make it better next time um because i think you just yeah if you don't you're just going to fail forever but could you share with us just you know in this small group of people (laughs) one of those failures where you thought we looked back on and said you know it was decent could have been better and what you learned from it so i think probably i'm not going to go into a campaign basis just because it's probably quite sensitive but in terms of actually yeah in terms of probably what we have done uh, probably at the moment we're going through a bit of a you know what me personally looking at our strategy is that we have probably not been agile enough in reacting to our competitive set like we are we've probably been a bit to looking a little bit close to home in terms of our traditional competitive set when actually there are so many new outfits and so many new pub- uh, younger publishers, um, specifically social first publishers, coming out of the woodwork um, who are doing incredibly well and eating our lunch, essentially. Um, and these guys, you know, all, all the best luck to them because absolutely, um, if you're good at it, then, then do it. And we've just, um, we are reevaluating the market working out who our new competitors are and we, we've got the credentials socially specifically to, to compete with these guys mm. um, and we are um, just working out who working out who our new friends are <laughs> and <laughs> who our new competitors are and um, yeah just just making sure that we being a bit more agile I think that's probably the easiest way to see it without getting myself into too much trouble which I've been known to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next question, uh, hopefully, I don't know how, if that's going to get you into trouble. I'm still going to ask you, though, in terms of revenue. Yeah. I'm sure you're not going to share with us specific numbers, um, but could you share with us, you know, maybe what percentage native advertising is of your advertising revenue? or? So in terms of overall, it is fluctuating. I'm not going to share those figures or percentage at the moment, but 
the first year of so back so last year which was June to July July to June 2017 mm-hmm. our brand of content uplift was triple figure um, in terms of percentage um, it wasn't started from that low base and that was based off of various different um, principles it has slowed down this last year or the, this Q1 and Q2 or quarters run from July but for us it is a growing piece of the the pie it was the fastest growing section of our revenue last year it okay. still is however it has slowed down um, but we are it is picking up again I think that's just re- reflective of the market and the time of year but it's a hugely important part of the news business um, and I think in the days of ad blockers and um, various other challenges to display advertising programmatic that it's uh, it's increasingly of interest to, to advertisers and to, to agencies um, in terms of getting around these issues and to be able to tell their brand story and I think that the longevity of branded content is probably going to come from developing the role that it plays. Mm-hmm. It can't go on forever being this big, fluffy, branded piece because I think that's that can only take you so far. So it's working out what what part the content plays in the market and mix and just constantly evolving the formats and how you use uh, content to tell the brand story or sell the product or sign someone up to something. So, yeah, it's a hugely important part of our um, advertising Revenue. So it's even though it's currently not growing at the same triple-figure pace that it has been, or maybe it will pick up again. Um, but what advice would you give to publishers in order to build those revenues? I mean, what have you done to get that kind of growth? Uh, because a lot of them are they, they've probably seen some numbers from other publishers and saying, "Oh, you know, it's a gold mine. You know, we're going to make tons of money. This is our savior." Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then. You know, maybe a year down the road, it turns out it just it didn't just pop up, you know, automatically. Yeah. Well, I think it's quite uh like there's a, it's a long term strategy. Like we did see a lot of growth in that after we'd redefined. So it was those principles essentially, and working very closely with the cross platform team, there was a lot of cross platform growth as well. So I'm talking specifically for digital, but we after redefining the product and the pricing and training the teams, and there was a lot of new people brought in as well. We, for us, it was about it's it's a longer term thing. It's probably worth also saying that you need some specialists and that you can train sales teams, but you should have advocates at every point throughout the business who are actually throughout the different sales team, whether that's split by category or media or whatever. You should have people who know how to sell content, mm. um, and it's probably going to be. We have been doing it for a while. It's so we had quite a, we had quite a good infrastructure in place. It was just how we flipped that. So if you were building a team from absolute scratch, you know, I wouldn't expect to be making, you know, it's not going to, as you say, be a gold mine in your first year. Right. Um, it's going to take a while and it is a, it is a long-term strategy. But I, as I said, it's, we've slowed down a little bit. We're still growing. It's still hugely important. And I think the future of our, future of content industry is still very bright, very uh, lucrative, but you just got to keep up, mm. which is a big challenge. <laughs> so, so if you were to build a team from scratch yeah what, what kind of hires would you what, what would the first five hires be oh that's a good question um my first five hires would be a really good content delivery team one or two people that's you know they're fundamental because as soon as you sell something you've got to get it get it live and get it delivered by that token also project management mm-hmm. 
So I actually think like your in, your infrastructure in terms of those teams is is really important and the creativity can almost come after that because once you've kind of got your foundations in place, so project management, content delivery, you need a really good designer, really good edits or creative director maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but those three probably are, are, are key first and foremost, which would be yeah your, your delivery, your project management and your designer. Mm. Um, and then a, sales, a really good salesperson, so four, and then your creative is your fifth. All right. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and, I, and, and there's a lot of publishers out there who are actually starting from scratch, even though Native have been around for, for a while now. So um, good advice to them. Uh, before I let you go, would you share with us uh, something that you're working on? What could you, we expect to see from, from News UK in, in the next couple of months? Well, I'm trying to also then work out what I can see with it. <laughs> Um, we're working on um, so the cross-platform team have just signed the second wave of a very successful Movember campaign, which ran last year and was really created some created some really beautiful content and saw some really good results from the client uh, for the client and also won a couple of awards, which was very nice for the team. So the second wave of that is coming or is sort of it's happening at the moment. Sorry, because it's November and the results will be in uh, be in soon in terms of donations and uplift so that's really cool for us um, we are working on a bit of a secret project that's going to be uh, launched in February which is going to be um, it's essentially an extension of our business that I am actually on a part secondment on at the moment which is really exciting um, it's one of the things that we are uh, very lucky that we are in a business that allows us to be very creative so um we've come up with something new that's going to be hopefully a bit of a game changer um and we'll be able to talk a little bit more about in february um yeah i think that for us is that we've got a lot of um a lot of campaigns in the pipeline and uh yeah just looking forward to um q1 which is our <laughs> i like that for a cliffhanger so we'll have to uh, hold on for yeah, february yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll be I'll be in trouble, but um, it's it's very yeah, it's, it's an extension of, of what we do, but it's uh, an entirely new brand. Great, we'll be sure to make to to get back to you on that. Yeah, uh, when you are good and ready to share with us a little bit more on the details. So, Joanna, thank you so much for taking time to being on this uh, podcast. Thank you. I hope it's useful for anybody that's listening. I'm absolutely sure it is. Thank you so much, Joanna. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. And for our listeners, if you like what you've heard, please drop us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe. We're also now available on Pocket Cast and Stitcher. But whatever platform you prefer for listening, remember that you can also be notified each time we launch a new episode by signing up for our podcast newsletter at nativeadvertisinginstitute.com slash podcast. That's all for now, folks. Next time, we'll have Adrian Michaels, director at First Word Media, on the show. It'll be our last episode this season before we return in February 2019. So make sure to be back next week for more insights on how to build your very own native advertising powerhouse. That's it, you guys. 
Remember to subscribe to the Native Advertising Powerhouse podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud.